this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here in person as well as online. Welcome. Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. So this next song is actually pretty new. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing and we're going to start with a chorus. Bless the one. Bless the one who reigns forever. Bless the one who ransomed me 
last night The mission of the Father's heart upon your mind Nothing would stop you Beneath the burden You felt the weight You held the tension of the price you'd have to pay Nothing would stop you. Bless the one. Bless the one who reigns forever. Bless the one who ransomed me from death to life. There is no For he is 
Hey, good morning, Fusion. Good morning, good morning. Hey, at this time, we'd like to invite any of the kids who want to go down for uh, children's worship. You can gather at the door. And of course, if, if little ones or parents, you want to keep your kids here, we'd love that as well. Uh, this is a place uh, where we are all part of the God's family. Let's, let's stop at the door, though. Don't, don't, run, don't run away quite yet, because we want to bless you. And we want you to bless us too. And so we're, we're bringing back our children's blessing. And uh, so we're going to offer a blessing to our little ones. And uh, kiddos, young people, are you guys ready to offer that blessing in return? All right, this is what we're going to do. On the count of three, we're going to say, the Lord bless you, or the Lord be with you. And then you guys are going to say, and also with you. All right? All right, we've had a couple weeks. One, two, three. The Lord be with you. All right, let's praise God for our little ones. I don't even think we need to try it a second time because that was there was some gusto there. Uh, you know, I, just listening to the little ones and the innocence is uh, is a beautiful thing. Uh, I know a lot of us have our eyes on what's happening in the world, particularly in the Ukraine and uh, the conflict and the crisis that's happening there. And uh, we're going to pray about that today. Um, but so often we're like, what, what, what can we do? Uh, and the one, one thing we can do f- without a doubt is to pray. And there is a power of praying together as a community. And so we are organizing just a time of prayer on Wednesday night. It's our community night. We gather for dinner. 
Immediately after dinner, around 6 o'clock, we're going to gather in some fashion to pray uh, for the people of Ukraine, pray for peace, pray for God to move. Does that sound good? Uh, I think that is a wonderful thing that we can do. Um, and now I got a transition, uh, but I have the unique opportunity, uh, we have the unique opportunity this morning uh, to also introduce uh, Reverend Corey Plockmeyer, who's uh, back, he's going to come forward. This is uh, Reverend Corey, Pastor Corey, or he probably just prefers Corey, yeah. Uh, but Corey is the executive director of Movement West Michigan, and someday we're going to give the opportunity to share a little more about that. But Movement West Michigan is an organization that serves uh, to connect local churches uh, to serve the needs within our community. So uniting churches around mission, which is a beautiful thing. And uh, uh, But Corey is also a pastor uh, in the Christian Reformed Church, an ordained uh, pastor, Minister, And so a couple months ago, we began a conversation uh, with uh, the pastors and then with council a couple of meetings ago and voted to uh, take, um, I'm trying to think of the language exactly, but uh, we're going to carry Corey's credentials here. Um, And so part of being ordained in the Christian Reformed Church, uh, a local church body has to hold the pastor's credentials. And since they moved to Holland, Hardaway's going to hold their credentials and Corey has already preached uh, at the other two congregations, and we're working on getting him uh, here to preach on a Sunday, Um, but we look forward to walking with you and to overseeing a part of that. Our role will be just overseeing doctrine and life, and uh, so Corey, uh, we get to introduce you and install you, and I'm going to ask some questions uh, of Corey um, as he accepts the responsibilities of this office. Did I miss anything? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay. Okay. So, Corey, do you believe that God has called you to minister as executive director of Movement West Michigan? Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of this church, rejecting all teachings that contradicts them? And do you promise to be a faithful minister to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your calling and to submit to the government and discipline of the church. Corey, what is your answer? I do. God helping me. Amen. And uh, now I'm going to invite elders, deacons uh, to come forward and place hands on Corey. Uh, Andrew might be the only one here this morning, but... We're going to offer a, a, a prayer over Corey. And uh, as a sign of, of unity, if you want to extend a hand um, to bless Corey in this as well, feel free to do that. God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you, Corey, to this great and glorious office, may you enlighten, strengthen, and govern you by the word and spirit so that you may serve faithfully and fruitfully in your ministry as executive director of Movement West Michigan to the glory of God's name and the coming of the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ, and God's people say together, amen and amen. Let's praise God for uh, this this work and this partnership. Hey, brother. (laughs) And at this time, I'm gonna invite Dee to come forward to offer a word of prayer. Good morning. Um, Let's continue in prayer together this morning. Hear these words from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. 
If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Gracious Father, we gather this morning as people who are deeply in love with you and people who want to honor you and to share your greatness with those around us. Thank you that as, we, as deeply as we love you, you love us even more. And you desire us to be your children, the beloved of God, not just those who are here on this Heart of White campus, but those who are an even bigger part of the church worldwide, your family. Father, we give you thanks for the way that you've provided for our Feed My Starving Children event that's coming up on Friday and Saturday. And we continue to place our trust in you as funds come in and as we gather 300 plus volunteers who are stepping forward to serve. We're honored that you've provided us with this opportunity. And as we pray for the Feed My Starving Children event and know that meals will be sent all over the world to help children and families in unstable situations, Lord, this past week we've experienced deep sorrow and we live in a place of deep concern. And we cry out to you, Lord, hear our voices. Please bring this war that is occurring in Ukraine to an end. We cry out for an end to the violence and the destruction that is man-made we pray that the lives of all beloved children of God be spared. We pray for those who are homeless and hopeless. We pray for protection for everyone directly involved in military action, both in Ukraine and in Russia. And we pr pray for wisdom for all of our elected officials. Lord, we need your mercy, and we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, there are many in our community who are suffering from cancer and other critical illnesses. And we ask that you give wisdom and knowledge to the medical teams who are working hard to heal them and to give them relief and comfort. Lord, open their eyes and their minds to see the right path or right direction to move in these different medical situations. And for those who are living with these illnesses, Lord, help them to know that they are loved and cared for and they're supported that they can lean on us when they are tired and weary in times of weakness or pain. More, more importantly, that they can lean on you, that you will remain strong for them in their faith as you are the great healer and source of comfort. And Father, we think too of those who have lost loved ones. Lord, wherever they are at in their grief, be there with them, give them hope in your unfailing love. Remind us to allow them the time and space that they need to begin healing, but to also be present and available when the time is right to walk with them. And now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to hear your word, we need your spirit to speak to us, and we need your word to take root in us. So in your grace and mercy, speak, encourage us, lift us up, choose to breathe your life into us. God, you are good, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you, Dean. I, I forgot to mention, too, that uh, I believe Corey and Lauren will be here till through the, are, are you staying for this? Now, now you have to. Now you can't skip out on the sermon. But I, I believe they're planning on staying. So after the service, if you'd like to meet with them and, and just hear more about their work, I'm sure they would welcome that. And again, I, you can't say no now. That I've, Anyway, uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is good to be together again. Um, you know, just uh, we had a West Michigan kind of weekend, right? 65 yesterday, last night, this windstorm comes uh, blowing through. And, you know, we kind of make jokes about West Michigan weather. It's up and down. But I don't know about you, like, the world feels that way, right? Up and down and uncertainty. And I was just reflecting that there is something powerful and good about this, this weekly rhythm of, of coming together for worship. And um, that just grounds us in what is sure, what is our foundation, what is our anchor for our soul. And so uh, I was just reflecting on that and uh, to be able to do that online, to do it in person, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but anyway, we are in a new series of messages. I kind of previewed this a little bit. We got a cool graphic there. It's kind of the cloud with fire and storm cloud. And it's a series uh, in, in the season of Lent. We are in Lent right now. Ash Wednesday was this past Wednesday. Uh, for those who joined for an Ash Wednesday service, uh, Lent is the 40 days that lead us to Holy Week when we remember Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those 40 days kind of reflect the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting without bread or water uh, till the enemy tempted him in the desert. Uh, those 40 days echo the 40 years Israel spent in, in the wilderness after leaving Egypt, which leads us to our topic for this Lenten series, which we're calling Enough. Uh, we're gonna be walking through the book of Genesis and remembering the story and the journey of God's people as they left Egypt. Uh, and through that journey, we're gonna have our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Now, what I thought would be helpful, because I don't know about you, but sometimes if, you know, I've done the, the reading the Bible, I don't know if I ever did it in a year, but, you know, and kind of like just kind of finding yourself in that narrative can kind of be overwhelming. So I thought it'd be helpful to kind of just step back, kind of do 30,000 uh, foot view of the, the first five books of the Bible and then zero in and kind of do an overview of Exodus. I'm going to try to do that quickly. Good luck, right? Okay, so step back, um, kind of put this graphic together thanks to Bible project. I reference them a lot, but helping with kind of the blocking. The Torah is, is the book of the books of Moses, right? The first five books of the Old Testament, or as uh, the people, uh, the Jewish people would say, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, we have Genesis is kind of two main movements. The book of Genesis 1 through 11 is, is creation, fall, and then God working to restore uh, a broken and fallen humanity in the world. And then there's a shift in chapter 12. We're introduced to Abram, and the rest of the book of Genesis uh, really focuses on God working to redeem and restore the world through a chosen people, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Fast forward, you remember the story, uh, Joseph um, and that awesome coat, right, that leads the people into Egypt 400 years. They're enslaved in Egypt. That's where the book of Exodus picks up. Exodus is kind of broken up into two main movements. The first uh, part of the book of Exodus is what we know as 
the story of Exodus, God's people leaving Egypt. Uh, the second half of the book, beginning at verse or chapter 19, is the people arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the rest of the book of Exodus is God establishing his covenant uh, with his people at the foot of Mount Sinai. Leviticus, again, the law is given, more laws are given at, in, at Mount Sinai in the first part of the book of Numbers, which is where we get all these family names and how they're organized in the camp, uh, and they're still at Mount Sinai. That's all, those books are all like one year, it's a little timing. And then the book of Numbers, uh, starting in verse, chapter 10, is 38 or so years wandering in the desert, or we say wandering, but really being led by God, and there's a series of rebellions that happen in the book of Numbers. Numbers, um, sometimes numbers, we say it's kind of, it's really kind of fascinating and interesting. So 38 years in the wilderness book of Numbers, which brings us to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which is Greek for second law. And this is at the foot or at the edge of the Jordan River. The people are about to enter the promised land and we have Moses giving his final words to the people of God, a reminder of the law. There's a speech to remember, the reminder of the law, and then another speech. Uh, that is kind of an overview of, of the first five books of the Old Testament. Is that helpful? I, 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 got, I had a lot of fun putting this together. Anyway, so now let's, let's zero in onto the book of Exodus. And here's a summary of the book of Exodus. And I, and I put this up. This is going to be kind of how we frame uh, this Lenten series because we got a lot of ground to cover in just a few weeks. So these first couple of movements, like today we are covering uh, Exodus chapter 1 through 4. This is where we hear about the crisis, that things have really gotten out of control in Egypt. And then we have the call of Moses, chapters 5 through 15 is really the traditional kind of story of the Exodus, right? This is where the movies are made, where, where Moses leads the people out of Egypt. You have the 10 plagues, you have the crossing of the Red Sea, the institution of Passover. That's gonna be next week. Uh, the week after that, we're gonna look at chapters 16 through 18, which is where the people are in the wilderness. They begin complaining like, oh, we long for Egypt where we had at least food, and this is where God supplies manna and quail, and we're gonna talk about that uh, the week after that. Uh, the next week, We'll look at chapters 19 through about 24 or so. Uh, chapter 19 is pivotal. This is where uh, they arrive at Sinai. God establishes this covenant with the people of God through Moses. They agree to that covenant. And then there's the terms, the law. Chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. These are the terms of that covenant. And the people say, yes, we want, we want that. Uh, and then the next movement is chapter, we won't cover this, but chapters 25 through 31. We have like six chapters of instructions on how how to build the tabernacle. Now for us, it's kind of like, well, what is that all about? Well, God establishes his covenant with God's people and he says, I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna be my people, I'm gonna dwell with you. So what's the first thing you do when you establish, well, you build a home together, right? So this is God's giving instruction to Moses, this is my home. This is the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle where the presence of God will live. Well, Moses comes down from the mountain and we get chapters 32 through 34 and it's been like, like 40 days or something, and God's people have already betrayed the covenant. That's the golden calf. I mean, within just a few, like a few weeks, uh, they've built an image, so they've disobeyed commandments one and two, built this golden calf, There's this, and then they have to kind of reestablish this covenant in the next couple chapters. And then it, we kind of round off chapters 35 through 40 is the building of that tent and a lot of re repetition from 25 through 31. Uh, they build the tabernacle, and then chapter 40 in the book of Exodus is when we read this powerful passage of God's presence 
uh, right? And this cloud filling the tabernacle. And then this, it ends with, but Moses couldn't go in. So that's kind of how the book of Exodus, and anyway, we're not going to explore all those things, but I don't know, this kind of overview of the book of Exodus I thought was pretty helpful. I hope you did too. Uh, if not, I guess you just have to pretend to do it like it did. Anyway, I don't know. And then the final week, we're going to actually get back into the book of Numbers in this series and talk about how a lot of these patterns that happened start repeating all over again. Enough. Who's enough? God is enough. And that's our, that's our message in this series. Okay. How did I do? Was that fairly efficient? Okay. You guys are just humoring me. I appreciate that. Okay. But now we're going to jump into God's word this morning. Uh, if, if you recall, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, which is a well-known story of, of God speaking to Moses in a burning bush. That is our passage this morning. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us as a way of honoring our Lord as he speaks through his word. We'll be reading Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. At this point, Moses is 80 years old, right? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you how, Holy Spirit, you speak to us through your word as we remember these, these stories and these testimonies of how you have interacted and engaged with your people. Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would engage our hearts and our lives in such a way that in hearing your word this morning, we would be comforted in ways we need to be comforted, that we'd be challenged in ways we need to be challenged in all of these things, Lord, that we'd be drawn closer to you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And amen. Once again, I uh, was thinking about, uh, I don't know, when, when you have kids at eight and four, they kind of consume your life, right? So I think a lot about my kids. And so a lot of my illustrations are kind of about my kids. And uh, I'll find some new ones, just not this week. You got another one, okay. So I was thinking about my kids as they were younger, kind of like that, that toddler age. And, uh, and in, in that kind of that toddler age, the twos or threes, uh, our kids, right, they, they really like to assert their will, right? There's kind of this, this, this wanting to assert kind of independence, and it kind of, it kind of looks like this. I, I don't know if you can relate. I'm thinking about uh, my kids have some kind of task uh, when they were younger, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, well, hey, I can, I can help them. I can help them do this thing they're trying to accomplish. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if I help them, um, it'll go faster, it'll go smoother, um, and it'll just be, you know, just better, right? But also I'm kind of thinking, well, but if they're going to learn anything, I got to let them try things. So to be a good parent, a good father, I better let them do this. So, uh, I, but you know, I, I, I still, when I try to help them, my kids, what do they snap back with? I do it. I do it. Like, I can do it. I can do it on my own, right? That's the kind of the, the, the heart behind it. And so then I'm like, okay, well, I'll let you do it. And I let my kid make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? And what happens? They get peanut butter and jelly all over the place. It takes forever. It makes a huge mess. But at least I'm being a good dad, right? Okay. Anyone relate with me here? Okay. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Okay. But not to pick on kids because we never pick on kids, right? Uh, fast forward to adulthood. Does anyone experience uh, not much really changes, right? I do it, that kind of independent mindset. Maybe it's, maybe it's my age, maybe it's being a guy, I don't know. But I, I, I think of a specific moment where we went grocery shopping and for some reason I have it in my head that I am determined to make as few of trips from the, from the car to the kitchen as humanly possible. Anyone else have this impulse like I, I got, uh, so here I am trying to like put as many boxes and hang as many bags on my fingers as possible. And here I am, you know, kind of walking to the garage door, but the garage door is shut. Anyone? Anyone? And then, and then trying to turn the, but you can't really turn your wrist. So you're like trying to like move your whole body to, to turn the, the door handle. And all of a sudden I look over and Yvonne's staring at me. And she's like, do you need any help? And what do I say? I do it. I do it. I didn't say that. I got this. I got it. I'm fine. I'm fine, right? This kind of impulse. And then what happens? I drop the chocolate chip cookies on the garage floor. These wonderful, soft, gooey chocolate chip cookies, they bust open, and now we don't have chocolate chip cookies. Tragedy! Because I thought I could do it on my own, but I couldn't. We get older, and not much actually changes, 
this, this longing to assert my own independence, to say, I can do it. I can do it on my own. I got this until I don't. And oftentimes it requires some level of tragedy for us to open our eyes and realize, I don't got this. I don't got this. We're entering the story of the people of God in Exodus. They're well beyond that point, right? They've been in Egypt for 400 years about. And at this point in the story, they are beyond themselves. Hear these words from Exodus chapter 2, just before uh, chapter 3 that we read together this morning. Exodus 2, we read this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. This is after Moses left Egypt. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. You see, at this point in the story of God's people, 400 years enslaved in Egypt, the people of God had had enough. And their cries go up into the heavens. Again, just a little bit of review. The people of God have been in the land of Egypt 400 years. They entered the land, right, as welcomed guests of Joseph who was serving in the royal courts. Uh, But as they increased in number, as time passed, Joseph was forgotten about. There's a new king. And the people of God, because they continued to increase in number, were viewed as a threat. And because they were viewed as a threat, chapter 1, we're told they were enslaved. And because they continued to increase in number, that threat remained. And so the king of Egypt commanded that male infants of the Hebrew people be thrown into the Nile, be killed. You remember, this is where Moses was born and we have that familiar story of Moses being placed in a basket and floated down the Nile River. And Moses is then saved. He's brought up into the house of the Egyptian uh, royalty, right? And for 40 years, Moses lives in Egypt as, as an Egyptian until this moment when he sees a fellow Hebrew being mistreated and he ends up killing an Egyptian. At that point, he flees into Midian, the deserts of Midian, and spends 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. He finds a wife, Zipporah, has a son, Gershom. Spends 40 years in Midian as a shepherd, and this is where the story picks up in chapter three. The Lord intervenes through this encounter with Moses on the mountain of God, and God appears to Moses in this bush that's burning, but it's not consumed, and and God says to Moses what is happening. Shares that the people have have cried out, and what does the Lord say? The Lord, the Lord says that he sees, he hears, and he knows. Again, the people are crying out, understandably so, because what's happening in Egypt is absolutely horrific. Life is not as it should be. But the Lord speaks these powerful words into their suffering. Notice the words he uses in, in verse 7 on the screen. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned. The Hebrew word there literally means I know. I deeply, intimately know about their sufferings. You see, the Lord sees, the Lord hears, the Lord knows his people. This is powerfully intimate language being used here that communicates a God who is not distant or disconnected, but a God who is near and who is full of love for his people. 
In fact, this same statement, I, I, I hear this more and more being used, right? Uh, when we, we, we want to communicate that to someone, we say, I see you. We've been using, I've been hearing that more and more. Like when someone's suffering or, and, and, and by saying, you know, I, I see what you're going through. It's a way of communicating compassion and empathy. Same language God uses here in this, in this passage. A compassion and empathy. Our God is, is not a God who looks away. Our God is not a God who is distant, who is disconnected. He is one who is near. For just a moment, let's step out of the book of Exodus and step into our current context. What a powerful, powerful word for us when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, right? Right? When we find ourselves in circumstances where we're, we're suffering, where we've experienced loss, where we've experienced uncertainty and, and anxiety about the future. Here's the thing. We all find ourselves in a season of difficulty. Maybe you're in one right now. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, it's like our, when our children find ourselves, right? When our children finally get to the end of themselves, they get frustrated because they want to say that they can do it, but they, they come to a task and they can't do it on their own and they're frustrated, or maybe if, if it's a, a child and, and you've been there as a parent where, where they finally get to the end of themselves and, they're, and they're, something has scared them. We just had this this week. One of our kids was just frightened and, and they can't do it on their own and they want their mom and their dad and so you come into their room. We pray with them. We remind them who is with them. But it's not just kids, right? It's, it's us as adults as well. We finally come to the end of ourselves when, we, when things are beyond our perceived control. We go to that doctor's appointment and we hear something that rattles our world. We experience loss or, or brokenness in relationships that just have us, our world spinning upside down. For many of us, we, we've, we've shared, we've prayed what, what's happening in the Ukraine right now like, what is going on? And there's all kinds of uncertainty about, about what's the end game, what, what's, what's happening, and, and we're like, what is going on? And we're seeing stories and we're seeing videos of, of people fleeing for their lives. Maybe you have a connection to brothers and sisters in Christ who are, who are desperate and still trying to gather and meet in the Ukraine. And we're, we're not sure, like, what does is, what is tomorrow hold? And yet here in the book of Exodus, this powerful reminder that even in those moments, our God sees, our God hears, and our God knows. And we read in this passage, we'll get to this in a little bit, he's, he's not gonna leave us there. God will not leave us in that space. Let's step back into the book of Exodus. In Exodus, God is, is going to take action. In fact, God begins saying that in, in verse seven and following that I have heard them crying out, so I have come down to rescue them, right? What powerful language. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And then, and, and then we get to the end of this kind of, this, this speech of God in verse 10, and he ends by, in verse 10 by saying, I'm gonna do all these things, so now go, Moses, I'm sending you. Moses, I'm gonna use you. Verse 10, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And can you imagine what Moses is thinking in that moment? 
I was with you for the first couple sentences, right? Yeah, you're going to come down. You're going to deliver to the people. That sounds all great. But all of a sudden, I'm going to use you? What? <laughs> Wait, huh? What are you talking about, God? In this moment, we, we get a, a window into the heart of Moses. Moses understands that he is not enough. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. You see, so often we, 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 we think and we remember um, our, our, these, these people from the Old Testament, from, from our story, right? The story of God's people and we, we glamorize them as biblical heroes. And often when we do that, we overlook their humanity. But in this moment, in this moment, Moses knows that he is well out of his league. That he is, he is up against an immovable force. Pharaoh at this point in, in human history is the most powerful human being in all the world. And Moses is quite familiar with that power, right? Quite familiar with the brutal nature for those who challenged the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Because he lived in that system for 40 years. And, and Moses' immediate response to God saying, go now, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Verse 11, he says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? That's a good, that is a really good question, actually. What an honest question. What, what an honest question to what seems to be an absurd call from the, the Lord God, right? In fact, if you follow this exchange between Moses and the Lord through chapter 4, Moses continues to offer a series of questions and excuses and pleas to the Lord. I put, I put them up on the screen. Number 2, right? In, in verse, we read that, chapter, verse 13. I, well, well, you know, if I go, what's your name? What should I tell him your name is, right? It's kind of like buying time. Now, now the Lord gives him a powerful response. We're going to dig into that in just a few moments. Chapter 4, he goes on, well, what if, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, well, the Lord did not appear to you? And some of this happens, right? And so the Lord gives him a couple of powerful signs where the staff is thrown, it turns into a snake, and his hand is covered in leprosy, and, right? He gives him these signs to assure him, right? Number 4, verse 10 of chapter 4, pardon your servant, Lord. Some reverence, that's a good idea. I've never been eloquent, right? I, I don't know how to speak. I don't speak really well. Well, the Lord responds. And then finally, at, at the end of all those excuses and, and reasons why he's, like God's got the wrong guy, he just says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please, please just send someone else, right? Moses understands. I, he says, I'm not enough. I, 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 he doesn't think he's enough. He, he's got plenty of reasons why and, and when he exhausts all those reasons, he finally just says to God, send someone else. You got the wrong guy. One of the beautiful things about um, being here at Heart Awake is we collaborate every week and uh, it's just worth mentioning last, you know, some of the ordering, this language of enough, you know, Pastor Aaron shared that. So I got to hear that from Aaron. Um, and then this, this idea of imposter syndrome. Uh, Pastor Bill this week was, drew this comparison uh, to, to kind of what modern philo uh, psychology refers to as imposter syndrome. Have you heard of this, this phrase? Imposter syndrome? Here's the definition of imposter syndrome from simplepsychology.org. That's my level of psychology. I go to simple psychology, not complex psychology.org. Here's the definition. Definition of imposter syndrome is uh, imposter syndrome also called perceived fraudulence. 
okay, I perceive that I'm a fraud, refers to an internal experience of self-doubt and believing you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. Imposter syndrome. And for Moses, he's thinking, I'm not as competent, I'm not as qualified or gifted as it seems God thinks I am, right? It's not just others. Like, what are you talking about, God? As, 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 as Bill mentioned that, that kind of parallel to imposter syndrome, that really resonated with me. Because if, if I can just be honest, I, I, I regularly find myself in this headspace of imposter syndrome. Looking around, like wondering, like, when are people going to figure me out? <laughs> when are people going to figure out that, that I'm, I don't know the Bible as good as maybe they think I do? Or when will people finally figure me out and, and realize that I don't know what's going on in the world as, as I probably should know what's going on in the world? Or, or I'm not as versed in these other areas. I'm not as gifted as, as people maybe think I am. I, I, I resonate with that. The frequency of imposter syndrome is, is, is actually quite high in our current cultural moment. There's so many people in our world who, who question and wonder when they'll be figured out. And a lot of times, it's, it's a false sense. It's a false sense. It's a false sense that we're frauds despite the fact that, that we're, we're educated and we're knowledgeable in so many different fields, but, it, but it's a false sense of fraudulence. Or may, a lot of times it comes from the fact that because we put this unrealistic pressure on ourselves to be experts at all things. I should know all things because I have access to information about all things from this little device in my pocket, right? So I, I should be an expert at all things, but people are going to figure me out, so I got to put on this front, right? I'm not sure what the cause is. I'm not sure if this resonates with anyone else, this imposter syndrome. It, it did for me. And it's probably different reasons than Moses, but notice something. Notice, notice God's answer to Moses' imposter syndrome, if that's what's happening. Was not the same as our world's response to imposter syndrome. Because what's the world's response when people say, I, when are people going to figure me out that I'm not smart? I'm not that. The, our response as a world is, well, no, you are smart enough. Oh no, you are, you are smart enough, you're good enough, you're beautiful enough, you're amazing enough, right? You, you, are, you are all these things. And a lot of this is kind of birthed out of the self-esteem movement in my generation. That's not all bad, by the way. But notice what God's response to Moses. All these questions about, I'm not enough, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I can't talk well enough, send someone else, I, what, if they don't, what if they don't listen to me? What's God's response? He doesn't say, oh no, you are enough. God's response is, yeah, I know you're not enough. But I am. Not me, but that's what the Lord says to Moses, right? God says, I am enough. Yeah, you're not enough. But I am enough, God says. And that's why this is gonna work. And just in case Moses decided to try to, to, try to forget that God was enough, what's the name God gives to Moses? I am. I am. What, Moses says, what, 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 what should I tell him? What is your name? Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then God goes on to say to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord. That's the name of the Lord, Yahweh, right? The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God's response to Moses questioning whether he is enough. God says, the Lord is enough. I am enough. And what I want to do is just explore this name of God because I think it's significant. This name of God, Yahweh, or I am. Uh, let's ex- just explore some basics of God's name. The name he gives to Moses is the name Yahweh. It's four consonants in the Hebrew language, right? It's used over 6,000 times in scriptures. First notice that, that God says his name is I am. It's a little, when God says I am, that's the Hebrew for, uh, I-A is I am. Yahweh comes from the same root word as I am, I-A, but it's in the third person, uh, which it literally means he is, which actually makes sense because when God says his name, he says, I am. But when Moses says his name, he says, he is. Does that make sense? It's kind of a, a unique little grammatical thing that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, they, but here's another, another interesting thing about the name of, of Yahweh. The Hebrew people would not utter the name of Yahweh. They would avoid saying the Lord's name in vain. And how they would do that is just by avoid saying the name of the Lord at all. So they would not utter Yahweh. Instead, they would say Hashem, which is on there, which in Hebrew literally just means the name, Hashem. Uh, and, 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 and they would not utter the name of Yahweh. In fact, in the scriptures, instead of uh, uttering Yahweh, if you were reading the scriptures, you would use the Hebrew uh, word Adonai, and so if you've ever learned like the Shema, Shema Israel, Adonai, right? You're saying Adonai, even though it's printed as Yahweh. You would say Adonai. And so in the ancient Hebrew, you got to understand it's a different language. Okay, I'm trying to do this quickly. But uh, so in, in the Hebrew language, on the left here is Yahweh. Those are the consonants, right? Uh, but, but the vowels in the Hebrew language are those dots and those lines above and below the consonants. And so in, in, in the Hebrew Bible, when they added vowel pointings later on, uh, they took Yahweh, the four letters, uh, yod ha vav uh, and, they, and they put the vowels from Adonai over the consonants of Yahweh. And if you pronounce that, uh, you get Yahweh, which sounds like Jehovah. Okay, I just find this really fascinating. I don't know how relevant it is. I mean, it is relevant, right? So, so that was a way of signaling to the reader of Scripture not to say Yahweh, but to say Adonai. We come back to it and we read Yehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah, the name of God, right? Anyway, I just find that really interesting. Uh, but what, why does it matter, right? Why does it matter? Well, just think about the spirit behind all of this working and gymnastics to avoid saying the name of the Lord. There is a reverence for the Lord. There is a reverence for a God. There is a a reverence and an understanding of the power and the transcendence of God that we can't even utter his name. And so we go through all of this stuff not to use the Lord's name in vain because of this reverence of God's power and transcendence. That's what I want to get at. And yet, if you also read this text, uh, what does God say immediately after Moses says, who am I? Who am I? 
God's response is, I will be with you. And so in this text, there is this balance between the Lord's transcendent nature, his power, his might, but also that God is a God who is very present and with us. That we serve a God who is powerful to do all of these things that he's saying to Moses, but also our God is a God who is near and present, who promises to be with Moses. A God who, who has heard the cries of his people, who has seen their suffering, who knows what they're going through. This balance of transcendence and presence. God's power and God's, uh, God's might and transcendence, but also that God is not distant, that God is not someplace over here, like that he just set the world up and said, hey, good luck. No, God is powerful and transcendent, but God is also present and real. Because if God is not with us and real and active in our lives, his power we're not going to really experience, it's not going to make much of a difference. Transcendence and presence. And this is where it brings us right back to 2,000 years ago at the coming of Jesus Christ. Because there is, there is no other place that you will find the transcendence, the power, the might of God and his very real presence come perfectly together and be revealed in all of history than in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The Son of God Emmanuel, God with us. God taking on human flesh, being born in, in, a, in, a, in a manger, right? In a state, placed in a, a manger. God, the, the, the king, the Lord of heaven and earth, walking and growing up as a young boy in Nazareth and then walking and ministering throughout the Holy Land, showing and sharing us what does it mean to follow God God in flesh, power, presence personified, transcendent presence, Christ Jesus our Lord. And in the season of Lent, we remember, we journey toward the cross and God sent his son Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave of his life, he died on the cross, he rose again and the power uh, and the consequence of that is that the spirit of God, Jesus Christ lives in you and me, transcendence and presence. So friends, as, as we think about this, whether, whether we come and we have that impulse like our kids, right? I do it. I got this. And, and we think that we can take on the world. Or when we finally hit that moment where we realize we don't got this. And the world and our lives are, are well beyond our control. May we remember the king of the universe took on flesh in Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God, that power lives in each of us. And may we remember that even though we are not enough, and that we can't do it on our own, the one who is enough lives within us. And may that truth, may that reality of the power of God living in the people of God carry us through today and tomorrow and the weeks ahead no matter what happens in this world. That our God is with us and he loves us. Will you join me and pray?
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you. We thank you for the consistency of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that that you came as a fulfillment of your word. And Lord, as we journey through the book of Exodus in the coming weeks, we're gonna continue to see how, how these accounts, these formational stories of the people of God continue to, to be echoed in the life of Jesus. I think just, just last uh, Lenten season, Lord, right here across Hardaway's campus, we, we did a series through the I Am Statements of Jesus in John's gospel, that Lord Jesus, in your life, you, you pointed the people back to this moment where, where God, you said, I am. And Jesus, you said, I, I am. I am the Lord. And Lord, in the weeks ahead, we're gonna continue to see and explore those parallels. And, and Lord, in all these things, may you help lead us and guide us in this journey of Lent toward the foot of the cross and the hope of the resurrection. We pray all this in the powerful, mighty name of our God and Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
just singing that song um, you know every Sunday I don't know if you notice but I'm sure you do but we you do notice because we make a point of it but we rightly light this Christ candle a tangible reminder of Christ's presence with us I think about when we gather for communion we use bread and we use juice or wine to signify God's nurturing presence. In baptism we use water. We use these tangible signs to remind us of something intangible. God knows how we're wired and so when we sing that song I just invite you each to take a deep breath. that God gives us every breath that we breathe. And so if we need reminders of God's power and presence in our lives, we just need to pause and take a breath. Take a breath. Remember the things, the good gifts that he gives. And this feels like a crude transition, but one of the good gifts is donuts. That's a really crude transition. But I wanted to just remind you to, to grab a donut, grab some coffee, uh, say hi to the Pluckmeyers, and uh, welcome them into our community. And as you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Go in peace.
Control, there's no question about it. You're king over. 